good morning once again. Current time is now 9 a.m. on the nose on this Wednesday, the 11th of November. And this being a Wednesday, welcome to Community Pulse, your live locally produced program on the coronavirus pandemic here in mid-Missouri. As a reminder of our production schedule, you can catch Community Pulse live Mondays and Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. The backdated episodes are then uploaded to our Facebook profile, our website, kopn.org, and you can also even find them on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. On today's program, public health advocate Ginny Chadwick will be interviewing school board member Chris Horn, and there is an awful lot on the discussion docket today, uh, including the decision to go virtual for elementary schools that will be taking place effective November 16th. First and foremost, uh, welcome board member Horn. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Yes, Chris, thank you so much for being with our KOPN listeners this morning. So looking at the numbers, and they are um, just startling. Again, um, Matthew Holloway's data, as we report on the show, um, is yesterday he identified 5,588 cases. And, you know, as long as I've been doing this, I think my recollection and looks like based on his data, that is the highest recorded single day um, case identified that we have had so far since this pandemic. And, you know, it is more than double just what we were having less than, you know, three to four weeks ago. So we had 55 deaths reported um, yesterday. So we are also looking at um, every major hospital in the state now reporting that they are under strain. And when we look specifically at what's happening here in Boone County, uh, there was a release joint statement by the Boone County Health Department, the Boone Hospital Center, the University Healthcare Center, um, and the VA Hospital um, that states that, you know, we are, and I want to quote exactly what they said. So they're in the yellow status, and that would mean that they're operating with standard capacity, um, but delaying non-emergent patient transfers um, from referring hospitals, delaying non-emergent transfers um, from due to capacity and due to staffing for more than two consecutive days and delaying non-urgent procedures and operations. Um, so there are currently, as of November the 9th in the statement, 142 patients with COVID-19 in the Boone County hospitals with 49 of those on ICU and 21 on ventilators. I have heard um, that there is, you know, that we have zero further capacity for ventilators as of um, those two days ago. But, um, you know, obviously there has been requests for more ventilators and um, ventilators may free up. But that was the current status as of November 9th. Um, so our Boone County Health Department reported 144 new cases um, yesterday. And I think that you know, for a long time, if a case of over, if a day of over a hundred was reported, I think we'd have, we were, you know, breathtaking and shocked. But we are at the point where reporting 144 cases um, now seems almost the norm, Chris. So, you guys had a school board meeting on Monday, and I want you to reflect on what is some of the information that you heard. You heard from um, um, Superintendent Steepleman on the numbers within Boone County for you to consider for the return to or 
online school or the return to in-person school for our students here in Columbia. Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously the a lot of the numbers that were under consideration were some of the numbers that you just referred to, you know, what's going on in our community. Um, you know, I think that's the, probably the best place to start um, because, you know, recent research suggests that, um, you know, schools are not locations for what they're calling super spreading events and so which makes sense to me and so they're but they are reflective of what's going on in our community and so um, you know you start there with you know we're obviously on a going the wrong way uh, and a trend as far as our community transition rates and then you know um, you know what does that effect do for our staffing um, you know uh, I think you heard Blake mention um, you know the percentages of the students uh, in comparison to the population as far as transmission, um, which thankfully that's low. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, our, our staffing, our, our, our employees are, you know, getting sick or being contacted. And, and then you heard about the, um, the downstream as far as getting subs. And so, you know, when it comes to being able to, to staff these buildings to, to give education and to uh, take care of children, you know, that became a strain. And so all you know, those are just a few of the things that uh, that went into that decision, but they're all related to kind of what's going on in our community. And when we talk about the numbers, you know, we've been keeping a close eye on this um, 14-day rate per 10,000, and our highest number previously was back in September. So on September the 7th, um, we had a 91.4 per 10,000. Today we sit at 85, which is really a, you know, our, if we are looking at that trend line, it's the second highest peak that we've had since the pandemic began. Um, you know, I know that there was a lot of talk about that under 10, we would be back in person entirely. Between 10 to 50, we would be in a hybrid and 50 all virtual. Um, when we look at the staff numbers that are out, you know, what were you seeing trend-wise when you were making that decision? Uh, you know, we were seeing something similar to what we were seeing in the community, obviously not the same numbers, but the the challenge with the staffing was, um, you know, we were having, you know, administrators and, um, and other staff from other buildings, you know, from secondary buildings trying to fill in elementary level and, um, you know, administrators from, from Aslan trying to fill in, in elementary buildings and in Daxville um, for administrative positions at, at the secondary level. And so the, the same thing with, you know, with teaching positions. And so, um, again, the challenge was, you know, making sure that we were adequately staffed to, you know, continue to provide the education that everybody deserves. And so, um so yeah, that that was the those were the numbers that you know were reflected in the community were is what we were seeing from a staffing issue. And so um, the 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 spectrum that we're using to decide the learning mode, um, I think you heard us say, you know, there's there's not a lot of match behind those numbers, but they do serve as a guide. They're a piece of the puzzles that uh, the the decision puzzles had. And so um, so yeah, that that all got thrown into the mix. And so right now we have 14 staff in the CPS school district that are positive and 104 that are quarantined. And, you know, prior to bringing the elementary school back, and, and Chris, you know, I, I think that um, as a community, we, we really have to think about 
what is our priority and and how what do we do during COVID, right? And so prior to bringing the elementary schools back, um, we were seeing very low numbers in the elementary um, age range. And now we have 20 positive and 356 quarantined. And as you guys made that decision, I was watching, and I'm sure you guys were, you were more privy to what was happening, but we were seeing more and more whole school buildings um, close back down again. How many total elementary schools do we have, if you know off the top of your head, and, and how many ended up having to close in that short period that we were open? Oh, uh, we have, what, 31 elementary buildings? 2731. Mm-hmm. I need to look at the list, but we had at that time we had seven buildings closed, so uh, we weren't we weren't going in the right direction. And I know that yeah, you know at the time of the board meeting there were a couple other buildings that were getting close. And um, again, these are not these are not all a result of you know students or staff members being positive, but it is the result of students staff members being positive and or contacts and or having the ability to uh, to staff those buildings. And so I'm curious, you know, coming into the Columbia Public School Board, you are a newer member. I mm-hmm. am sure you're thinking this is not what I signed up for. And in, in many, you know, in many aspects of anybody in leadership positions, you know, how has your expertise on this virus evolved? And where do you find best information? Ooh, so um, I think this is exactly what we signed up for. Did we sign up for a pandemic? No, but we signed up to serve and um, that's what we're doing. Um, uh, expertise, uh, I, I, I would not say that, you know, my knowledge of this uh, this pandemic, this virus and this subsequent disease um, be at any sort of um, expert level, but I know that's not the same as expertise. It's, 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 it's evolving, I think, like, you know, like most other people's are that are paying attention to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, there are some things that have been relatively consistent, you know, as far as, you know, how to best mitigate the transmission. And there are things that we're learning, you know, um, you know, things that have been consistent are, you know, masks work very well. Social distancing is very good. Hand hygiene is very good. Um, you know, cleaning services was something that was super important going into this, and I think it's still relatively important. But you know, we know now that this this uh, this, uh, this virus is um, more transmitted airborne through droplets, and so um, and less cleaning. So those things haven't changed. Um, it hasn't changed. So you bring so, up you know. social distancing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I know that there's been a lot of talk about hybrid and what will work for the teachers coming back. Um, the school board voted that it will be January 19th at this point before we will bring any building back in. What are your thoughts on being able to social distance and that hybrid model, which I know is really complicated? So, you know, if you look at the if you look at the plan, um, particularly when the when the transmission rates were below 10, positivity rates were below 10, that would be a uh, cause or at least. Uh, start the conversation as far as going back to school in person, right? And so even in that, you know, social distancing, um, it was always going to be part of the plan that it wasn't going to be achievable, um, particularly with the number of students that we have want that want to be in person. Um, so when you think about hybrid, um, yeah, I mean, if it, it, it certainly makes it a lot easier to do that. Um, 
to me, the challenges with hybrid um, are, you know, it's it's completely different from than than the virtual learning that we started with, for obvious reasons. But from a learning perspective, just from a learning lens, um, you know, it's not the same. It's not you're not getting the same amount of time um, with your with your teacher when it comes to learning. Mm-hmm. Um, the benefits of hybrid are uh, you're in seat. Um, and uh, you can have this. You can have the distancing. Uh, I hate headsets they require, but you have that distancing for that extra layer of protection for mitigating transmission. Um, you know, there some of the downsides are implementation. Um, you know, relative to the transition from going from virtual to hybrid or NC to hybrid. Um, you know, that's a big transition, um, and it completely changes how education is being administered. And so, um, it to me, it, it it comes down to you know, you know, are we going to we where do you place more importance um, on the the quality of the instruction um, or the value of having people in seat? Now, depending on who you talk to, you know, both are are equally important. And to some people, um, one is more important than the other, and that's one of the uh, that's one of the challenges that we face as a board. Trying to trying to manage the, these decisions and, and trying to find balance uh, for our community at large. And you know, I, I think as I've said to you guys before, you guys are at a, a place of impossible decision. Um, the Columbia Public School Board has been very active and transparent in having these long discussions and making decisions. Um, but as you look into the community and what we have decided to forego um, right now during this pandemic, you know, Columbia Public School has continued to forego getting to be in person, while a lot of these other activities in our community, such as um, the University of Missouri being in person, you know, our um, bars and restaurants operating. What are your thoughts and what are you watching and hoping for as this community moves into what might be a, a really bleak winter for us with the virus. Uh, that's a uh, that's a very good question. So you know, uh, what I'm seeing is you know we've got kind of different entities and different um, governmental organizations that have their their respective decision making um, lanes with which they're trying to stay in. And so um, I think that our our local uh, city and county government is working extremely hard and doing a really good job of trying to implement um, implement uh, guidelines and, and rules and sort for us as a community to follow to try to control um, control the spread of this virus while while simultaneously trying to make sure that we are a viable community from an economic perspective. Um, and you know, smack dab in, in our city, we've got a, a great state institution um, that um, that has just they just have different rules than we have here locally. And so, um, you know, the thing is, we we're all we're all here together trying to trying to um, trying to live within those. And you know, some of them work well with each other, and some of them contradict each other. And so, um, that's what makes this whole thing so challenging. Um, and you know, we've got this we've got this health issue that that is that is. I would say political undertones, but I think it's been overtaken from political views, and so that just kind of complicates it further. And so um, we are all kind of kind of managing and trying to 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 do the best with what we have. And 
what communication, because we are one community, and so I'm curious what communication, you know, maybe you know that Dr. Stiebelman is having or that the board is having with all of these other outside entities so we can coordinate. I, I often use the term COVID capital. We only have so much COVID capital in this community, and we have to decide where to spend it. Um, what communication is happening between all of the entities to be able to identify priorities? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. I can tell you that I know that I know that Dr. Stevenson's having a lot of communication, particularly with our county health officials, um, city officials as well. Um, there's been a lot of coordination as far as resources. You know, one example I can, you know, I think we know all publicly is, you know, with our hotspots and how the uh, the county stepped in to help us out um, with some CARES Act funding. So there's, there's communications like that happening. Um, but, you know, one of the things that uh, this pandemic does, um, it, it certainly does, um, highlights opportunities and it highlights um, it highlights uh, kind of opportunity or areas w- with which we can be better and you know communication mm-hmm. is one of those and so um, you know both from a from a from a district and a board perspective you know something that I've discovered is we just we can just be better at communication um, you know we communicate a lot you know board meetings radio shows um, other news mediums things of the sort um, but in the midst of the pandemic you know um, if you don't, if you don't feel like you're communicating, maybe you're not communicating enough, and so that's certainly one thing. And so that's that's both, you know, with uh, with the respect to our responsibilities um, as a district, and also with the respect to the relationships between our other uh, our other governmental counterparts. And so um, I think that there there could be better opportunities to to identify priorities and collective priorities, and um, kind of how we can all work together to achieve. Them. You mentioned the CARES Act funding and how the county stepped up in helping the school district with the hotspots. You know, there's been a lot of question and, you know, even media reports today that um, the state of Missouri will likely return, uh, based on current spending, over $1 billion in CARES Act funding because it will not be spent by the end of the year. There is a requirement for CARES Act funding to be spent before the end of the um, calendar year, and Boone County received $21 million in CARES Act funding. Do you know today how much money the um, Columbia Public School has requested of the county for CARES Act funding and how much you've received uh, I don't know those exact numbers. That's something that I can uh, certainly ask um, Kevin MacArthur, our, our um, CFO, about. Um, I, I know that we've spent um, a significant amount, millions, you know, with uh, with respect to our response to the to the virus. You know, when you think about hotspots, PPE, um, all that all that goes into it. But the specific numbers, no, I don't know those right now. And you're saying that the district has spent millions, not necessarily that the district has received millions from the CARES Act funding. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. I, from a budgetary perspective, I know that we spend those things, and um, I know that we anticipated a certain amount of money coming our way that, that we know about, and whether or not there's be additional funds, I'm not sure of. Um, and while I don't know what those numbers are, I know that there's a number that we anticipate receiving and we 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 spent accordingly. Um, um, and I know that we've exceeded that number, of which we expect to get reimbursed. Um, but as far as getting additional funds, that I don't know. And, I mean, we've heard that there, you know, the cost of putting in these air, air filtration systems are significant. And so, you know, I, and this is my very brief understanding, but that, there's the potential for um, 
school boards or districts to request up to $500 per student um, uh, of funding to um, not require documentation for um, contingency reserve funds. And so that is my curiosity is how much per student has the um, Columbia Public School District requested of those CARES Act funding and how much per student has um, the Boone County um, government allocated of the CARES Act funding, you know, because we're hearing there's the potential for losing it. And so has the school district thought, what is the maximum we could get? Because there's obviously cost to this pandemic. Yeah, you know, you, you, you give me a piece of information which I'll have to uh, follow up on and learn more about um, as far as, you know, uh, per pupil requests in response to, to CARES Act funding. That's something that I'm not aware of. But, you know, you bring up those uh, the air filtration systems, and I think that's an example of kind of, you know, our expectation of not receiving any additional funds. You know, um, we talked about um, a couple different systems that are being tested right now with which to roll out to all the buildings. And um, in our presentation, you know, the budget for, with which that we were, were looking at, we're either looking at operating expenses or we're looking at capital funds, depending on which one of those units gets selected. So that in and of itself can kind of tell you, you know, this is something that we're doing in response um, to, to COVID-19 and certainly would help to, to help mitigate that from an air quality perspective. Now, there's a, there's a myriad of other benefits for having those. These are things that, uh, if you remember Kathy Steinhoff mentioning that uh, this is something that, that um, her uh, association was looking into years ago just for mm-hmm. air quality. So there's much more benefits beyond COVID. Um, so maybe that, that could be a reason why it wouldn't qualify, or, or maybe it could be the case that there's just no ex- uh, additional funds being expected to come in. So testing. <laughs> Can you talk to us a little bit about the tests that were provided by the state and what you know about them, how they can be used, and and just, you know, overall thoughts that you have on community-wide testing? We have a positivity rate of 21.3%, and, you know, for our listeners, a positivity rate above 5% means there's broad community spread and we're not identifying all of the transmission. And as Dr. Stiebelman presented in his um report to the board, um, you know, when we are over one, um, uh, transmission rate of over one means that we are passing the virus more actively, right? We were at 1.16 as of the meeting in the central region of Missouri. Um, so what are your thoughts on testing? What do you know about the test that the state, you know, we highly anticipated these tests coming in and, and now we have some, but talk about the, what you know about that. Yeah, so what I understand, um, we've got a grant uh, for the rapid testing that we have, and there's some specific rules with which they can be used. But basically, um, in a nutshell, there they can be used for students and staff. Um, and um, you know, uh, there I think that we I know that we have them, and we're going through protocols with which how to to uh, properly uh, administer them, and we're going through locations where we're going to do those. I know that they're doing staff testing. They're going to be doing staff testing in Aslan, and we're trying to figure out what other sites we can do um, for students and staff as well. And so, um, you know, as far as um, you know, as far as community testing, I, 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 I see, I see both sides of this, right? And so, you know, to a certain to to a certain extent, you know, we want to have widespread testing and these rapid testing available, so we can so we can know, so people can know, so community can know. Um, on the on the other side of that, you know. Um, you know, particularly for adults, um, you know, some research uh, from the CDC suggests, you know, you could, 
you can be asymptomatic and you can also not be, uh, you can not have a viral load or enough of a viral load to transmit, but you can still register a positive um, result. So I can understand, you know, people's hesitancy to want to test. Um, you know, to me, um, you know, if if you don't know, but you know that you've been a, a contact, at least a close contact, it would make sense to um, to get tested um, sometime shortly afterwards to help with the quarantine process um, to help mitigate the transmission. Um, you know, you, you referred to the uh, to any number above one. I think that's related to maybe some of the are not. So it just tells you how much, mm-hmm. how many people you you're going to affect if you if you do indeed have this uh, virus. And anything above one, you know, obviously you're affecting more than one person. And so, um, so you know, for those reasons, it, it makes sense um, to have some rapid testing, particularly if you know you've been in contact. Um, as far as a as far as a community wide mandate or anything of that sort, you know, I I, I can I can see both sides and I can understand people's hesitancy, um, but I can also understand support for doing it as well. And you know, when you guys received those rapid antigen tests and the the grant, um, they it came with some pretty explicit rules to administer those. And one that I was surprised to see was that it required the individual that you were testing to be um, symptomatic. So it it can't be to identify spread, but it has to only be to identify if, um, you know, if that person is symptomatic, then the test could be used, which I know um, was not my hope or anticipation for those tests. So when you look at, and I know that Stiebelman brought this up during the board meeting. And so I'm curious if you've looked at before the White House Coronavirus Task Force report and what it recommends for Boone County. Uh, I have not seen that specific mm-hmm. document. Yeah. Um, it, no, no problem. It's, you know, Stiebelman brought it up. He showed that, you know, we are in the red zone and Boone County has been in the red zone. It makes very clear recommendations for um, elected officials and leaders of the community on what should be done. Um, you know, and it, it identifies now that the, um, the Abbott tests are available and it actually recommends that, you know, population surveillance um, should happen um, and, you know, deploying these tests, these rapid community tests, although, you know, we know now that we can only use them on symptomatic people. But um, the White House Coronavirus Task Force re- recommends that all students um, in higher education, so in our, our college setting, be tested prior to returning back, um, returning um, back from Thanksgiving break, mm-hmm. um, so that the university test all students sorry, before they dismiss them for Thanksgiving break. Um, That is not something our university has stated that they're doing. And we are one of the few universities in the state that are bringing our students back after Thanksgiving. That will only create further burden for CPS. Um, The last few minutes you mentioned during the um, board meeting, and I, I absolutely agree that the testimonies that you heard were probably the most diverse in our community and really spoke to the conflict that we are in, in bringing students back. Can you tell me what you took out of those testimonies to make your decision? Uh, uh, you know, um, those testimonies were reflective of the, the communications that, that, at least I and I know the rest of the board has been receiving all the way up to that point. And so, um, you know, whether it be emails, conversations, social media, um, you know, several different mediums of people talking about their experiences. And so, um, you know, what, what I took 
from that as far as weighing into the decision was, um, you know, I start with where we, where we are as a community, you know, um, the numbers that we're experiencing um, speak for themselves. Um, but then, you know, you get into, you get into people's experiences and that's where, that's where this, um, this decision gets, um, you know, difficult because, um, you know, one of our, one of our young speakers, one of our students, and I love her quote and I'll continue to say it and give her credit. And her name is Madison Holmes. You know, she said, you know, you can disagree with my opinion, but you cannot deny my experience. And I think that's super powerful because, um, everybody's experiences are valid and it's so true. And what we heard um, at our board meeting was, um, you know, of varying, varying experiences. We had, we had people that spoke that, you know, were in absolute support of a virtual learning mode, given our circumstances. We had people that spoke who were in absolute support of returning our kids in seat, given our circumstances. And we had people that, that spoke that said, listen, um, you know, Whatever you do, make a decision and base it off the, the information that's going around us, but provide us some consistency in that. And so um, those, that, is, that is Columbia right there. That's where we are. And, um, you know, this, this pandemic is, is the, the driver for all this, but it is highlighting kind of, you know, um, a myriad of experiences. And there's, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, ironically, there's a little bit of beauty in this because, um, at least, you know, it's been my experience, my understanding that, you know, we don't we don't usually have this uh, this diverse of an experience um, being being discussed in those public formats at our school board meetings. And so, um, you know, usually it's people are pretty passionate about certain things and we hear um, we tend to hear more one sided conversations. But that was not the case on Monday. And so. You know, that was a long answer for, you know, what went into the decision was, yeah, weighing, weighing people's experiences and, and measuring them up against kind of where we are as a community and kind of how can we, how can we safely administer education? Um, you know, I've said it a lot throughout this process. Last 10 I seconds, Chris. I continue to say, you know, safety is important and, you know, we have to have safe learning environments. And so um, that's what it came down to. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, school board member Chris Horn. Back to you, Peter, in the studio, and thank you so much for joining us and to our KOPN listeners. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ginny, and also thank you to board member Horn for what was another incredibly intriguing and informative discussion. If you happen to miss any of it or would like to catch the episode in its entirety, there are several other options. We will upload it to our Facebook page later today, along with some germane links. We will also have it on our website, kopn.org, and you can find all episodes of Community Pulse since we began producing this program in March on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, dear listener, for joining us today. We wish you a pleasant weekend. And don't forget to join us again live Monday at 9 a.m. with board engineer Mallory Daly and Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, host of Your Health Matters right here on KOPN, your community radio station. 51% is next. We bid you a pleasant weekend once again, and please stay safe and stay informed, Columbia. <laughs>